This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bow Hunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Huntworth. Huntworth bringing you quality hunting clothing and packs at a price you deserve. Check them out at huntworthgear.com. And if you're going to be down at the Mobile Hunting Expo uh, towards the end of the month, uh, there's like, going to be a ton of companies there, uh, a lot of saddle hunting, a lot of mobile hunting. I mean, it's the Mobile Hunting Expo, but I mean, like, I, it seems like all the saddle companies are going to be there. Um, but Huntworth is going to have a booth there as well. And one of the things, a question that had popped up about Huntworth, um, earlier actually from our guest today uh rendell eric um he had asked me about huntworth and like what's the quality overall and like what are my thoughts on it because uh, he said he had some stuff that had come from them and uh you know he wasn't really impressed with it but he said that he bought it at walmart so one of the things with um dealing with companies like walmart is they give you a price point and they say can you make us a jacket that's going to retail for 40 bucks? And that is not representative of the Huntworth quality uh, stuff that's on their website. And, um, you know, so I would go, if you're going to be there, check out their stuff or um, look, you know, it's kind of silly, uh, but you can look at like the, the stuff that's on the website and cross-reference that. I've run into this uh, with other companies um, that are local to us, hunting companies that, you know, you want to buy their product and then you go, I mean, think about it when you go and, and you buy the Black Friday TV or drill or whatever, and it looks it looks kind of the same, but it doesn't have all the features. Um, and that's a, a price point thing. So something to check out if you're going to be down at that Mobile Hunters Expo, um, definitely stop by the, the Huntworth booth. Um, I'm going to try to be down there. My plan is right now to, uh, to be down there. And I think that's July 29th and 30th or it's that weekend. Um, so definitely check them out. Um, you know, they give away some great stuff through our Patreon giveaways and, uh, they just gave away some rain gear and we'll probably be giving away some of their, 
uh, cold weather gear coming up here for the end uh, of the third quarter giveaway. And um, one of those other companies that we were talking about, um, Latitude uh, Saddles, I work pretty closely with uh, Alex and friends with those guys over there. And they gave me a code for 25% off all of their accessories for their classic saddles and their saddle kits. Um, It doesn't include uh, the 25% off isn't on the ropes, uh, but if you order the saddle kit, um, it does come with the rope. So that would be a way to get get a hold of those. 25% off code BHC, uh, all caps. Um, You can check that out, but uh, that's going to be a a big savings. I've used that classic saddle um, for the last two years um, on and off, but I, I really do like that that classic saddle i think it's a really great value um especially for 25 percent off um that's one of the reasons why i was you know kind of big on that classic classic saddle because of all the features that it has in the price point when they went to the two it got a little bit more expensive but at 25 percent off that's a that's a great deal if you're looking for a saddle right now um and you know you got to give a shout out to you know our other sponsors um we just did our q2 giveaway so congrats to those guys go check on our instagram um but you know spartan forge spartanforge.ai they i mean as we're getting into this mobile scouting you can check the wind you can check you know the wind history for that area for date ranges uh when you're looking at being there um it it tells you when the deer are moving where they should be um and they've got that new flyover um uav layer uh with different like different years different times a year um and it's all right on there their imagery is incredible like i said i always say this it goes away from the the ai predictability uh feature but uh the the mapping is just incredible you can check them out at spartanforge.ai you can use code bowhunter to save 25 percent over there as well um you know we do these giveaways work with lucky buck just had some lucky buck put out in missouri over a cell camera 45 minutes later great buck i'm gonna put those pictures up here uh pretty soon you know if you're in michigan you know you can't use it they do have some food plot seed um and things like that but you know, all these things are, you know, these companies that we work with, they, they give us stuff to give away through these Patreon giveaways. And we've got a Patreon hunt coming up. Um, going to be here in Michigan, just, uh, basically a deer camp. Um, and it seems like the consensus from the guys is if we don't even kill a deer, um, it's still going to be a great time just to, to share camp and, and, and have fun. And, uh, for any of that stuff for Patreon, you can check that out at patreon.com forward slash bowhunter chronicles podcast, or you can uh, click the link in our bio. Um, still working on the, the third quarter giveaways uh, with Huntworth, you know, Lucky Buck, Spartan Forge, they're they're all in. We give away some Zinger uh, Fletchings as well, and uh, we're going to be giving away a set of Latitude sticks. And I'm probably going to try and put that into a saddle package like we did um, in years past. So again, all that stuff, um, you know, access to the Vitals Live to live webinar podcast where you can ask the guest questions in real time uh some of the map breakdowns that we've been doing uh on there are incredible as well um you know 17 cents a day five bucks a month you know whatever really helps if if you know you appreciate what we're doing um 
If not, hey, don't worry about it. No sweat off my back. I really do appreciate everybody that listens. Uh, this podcast with uh, Rendell Eric, uh, I was fortunate enough to be in a Marco Polo group. And for those guys that are like, what's Marco Polo? I feel like it's like Snapchat for adults. <laughs> kind of like the same thing with all the, without all the dumb filters and all that stuff. Um, but I actually got to go along with him while he was scouting very long form, you know, showing what's happening here, what's happening there, what are you seeing, why he's there going up in the tree. And the guy scouts an incredible amount. If you haven't seen, you know, his tethered 10 buck or like the 175-inch deer he killed last year uh, just from scouting and finding a track while he was shed hunting. So, you know, a lot of great information in here from Rundle. You know, so if you enjoy the podcast, just tell somebody else about it. Say, hey, man, check out this podcast, share it with somebody else. Um, and if we got anything that we can do better, please let me know. Leave us a review, reach out on social media. But as always, thanks for listening. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bow Hunter Chronicles podcast. And uh, so if you have bought anything from tethered if you follow along with tethered if uh you you may have received this really beautiful uh mailing uh and it's got some information and and you're going to recognize this guy for sure uh rendell eric the gentle giant this uh six eight monster with size 16 shoes and uh, i want to get into some gear stuff too at the end because of that size 16 uh size and everybody thinks that they need the biggest platform known to man but you've seen his tethered 10 buck you've seen um you know on facebook he just put in its top five these giant deer um but you might not believe that this is a guy who you know just a short time ago almost gave up hunting from the from everything that we know uh or that we used to know of is what you're supposed to do hunting so how you doing tonight rendell i'm doing great man <laughs> so let's talk about almost quitting hunting so for a guy that you know has a wall or has you know all these bucks that most guys would be like oh my gosh like that guy's got it made he's in iowa like why would you ever decide that you were going to quit hunting Hunting is a traditional way that everybody on TV and social media tells you that you got to hunt, honestly. Um, you're almost praying, wishing, hoping for a buck when you're sitting on a field edge in a preset tree stand. And it just uh, it just didn't appeal to me anymore. And I, didn't, I couldn't keep up with the Joneses. I only have such a big budget and salary. And I can't afford land like a lot of the big-time TV hunters can. I can't lease land. So I'm just, uh, you get that image of, oh man, how can I be like that? And there's just no way to get there because I don't have the money. But you're sitting on all these field edges and you're just day after day and you're seeing less and less deer and you're trying to get on private land and you might kill one or two deer and then you get kicked off because their cousin gets jealous of you and their cousin wants to hunt it. Um, it's just like a struggle bus to me, honestly. And I just got, I just got burned out on it. Just jumping around on all these presets and just sitting there waiting and hoping and praying. And it's almost like you're putting the hand, you're putting the game into the deer's hands more than you are yourself. Like you're not stacking your deck. 
I mean, they're holding all the cards and you're just sitting there bouncing around, relying more on the rut and stuff like that, like weak links and all these products and stuff. Guys are trying to sell you because uh, they think that gear's going to kill you mega giants. And that's just not the truth at all. So I just got burned out on everything, like the whole image of it all, the whole hoping and wishing part of it. And it's just became a, just like, I don't know, just like a boring grind to me. So I almost gave it up because I was just like, my fire for hunting was just burning out because of it, honestly. And so what, how did you come back? Like what kept you in the, in the hunting game or kept you hunting? How did you transition to, to, how did you decide to keep going? (laughs) I just kept thinking to myself that there's got to be something better than this. Like this can't be the only way. Like, so I started doing a lot of research and digging and I went into the underground world of hunting. I should call it like non-mainstream guys that are getting it done year after year. Like, how are they getting these bucks? They're hunting public. Like, well, how come these guys are on TV? Like what the heck's going on here? You start noticing guys on like YouTube and, uh, DVDs that they would sell on their own and just talking to guys at shows and, all, you know, hitting their brains up or your buddy knows somebody that no one's ever heard of and they're getting it done on public and you start digging into it. And it's like, there's a world underneath the mainstream world that nobody even knows about. And then it just got me, it got me fired up because it gave me that ray of hope. Like you could see some sunshine in the darkness, you know, it's like, oh, thank God that this isn't the only way that I could hunt. So you get kind of fired up, man. You start digging into it and you start learning and then you start applying things that they're saying in the field and you start seeing uh, more deer than what you're used to seeing. And it starts to make sense to you and you just get deeper and deeper into it. And it's just like a, it's like a breath of fresh air, honestly. And the guys aren't hunting for money. They're just hunting just to hunt or kill big deer, mature deer. They all got different agendas. It's not just driven to sell me products. So uh, what is your system then? Like, how do you, how do you approach the hunting from the underground level, I guess? (laughs) So I really latched onto these guys that are hunting buck bedding areas, like Dan Enfall, the DeQuistos, that just really appealed to me because it seemed like you were holding way more cards in your deck than the buck was then. Like you're systematically going in there, finding where he lives and sliding in close to kill these bucks. And the more and more I did it uh, and learned about it and dug into it, I started seeing better results in the field on encounters with trophy deer that i usually never see on field edges um you shoot one or two of them and that gets you fired up and you just want to know more it's like how can i do this every year and then i'm a lifelong learner so my brain just starts soaking this stuff up and then i'm like what about this terrain and that terrain and you have all these questions so you just start seeking that information and it's like you're just going down this rabbit hole of you know, buck bedding and all these little details that you got to take in consideration when you're hunting and finding these spots and uh, scout more than you hunt 
comes into play and learning about scouting and finding the buck beds is like where you got to start at and understanding just the behavior of the deer, how the wind sets up for these spots, because the mature bucks that I'm chasing are a totally different animal than the younger bucks are. You have to hunt these mature deer, uh, totally different. So what is the, I want to, I want to know your system, but I also want to know like a realistic expectation for guys, like how long did it take you from like ready to, to hang up your hunting gear and pick up the fishing rod to, uh, you know, having success or like that quote unquote, like figuring it out. Uh, two seasons of hunting and three to get really dialed in on the system. And then you can add in nuances and get better at certain aspects after that. And so what is that? What is the like level of commitment that it takes to, to kind of do, do this at a, at a high level? sacrifice <laughs> most things in your life so you have more money to hunt gas money tax scout um time man i don't go to concerts i don't go out and party i don't go to barbecues any free time i have i'm usually scouting especially in the postseason i did almost 300 miles this year and then transition into like summertime you're putting out cameras and you're scouting like maybe some newer areas if you drew out of state you might pop into somewhere out of state during the season like everybody knows i'm hunting like they don't even invite me to things because they know the fall is mine and i'm going up for three days i'm taking a ton of time off work any chance i can get man i'm in the woods it takes tons of sacrifice you have to be a hundred percent committed. My system isn't easy. It's really hard work. It takes a lot of time to perfect. And I think the learning curve might be longer for people that don't dive in a hundred percent because I'm scouting, like I said, like 300 miles postseason. You got to learn like how to find buck beds, what they look like, uh, how the bucks bed in different types of terrain. There's a lot of information that you have to learn. And the more you do it, the better you get. So I feel like if you're not into it wholeheartedly, you're going to struggle more than what I did. And so you keep talking about like my system, my system, my system. Let's get into that. But I mean, it kind of sounds like, you know, these guys that have these master classes and like, we're just waiting for you to say like, all right, for 1999, you can (laughs) hit me up and, and this is what it's going to be. Right. So like for, for you, like, like take us through like quote unquote your system, like from the last day of the season until the first day of the season. So when I was learning this bed hunting thing, I just, I dove into other guys' systems, guys that consistently kill every year. And I was just seeing the most important things to them, aspects. Then I would go out in the field and test the theories for myself and then develop my own system out of their system. So I'm hodgepodging different systems together into what I feel comfortable with and what I'm good at. Cause not everybody's going to be good at somebody else's system or maybe like the terrain or just the area or their brains 
don't quite think the same way, but I feel like anybody can do it. It just takes a lot of time and commitment. So my system is based all on betting and not food, really. So I'm just finding as many buck beds as I possibly can in the postseason. And then I'm looking at access into that bed, what the deer's looking at from the bed, what when is the buck going to be on that bed. And I want to be in that 100-yard bubble. So I'm really isolating my hunts to like a 100-yard zone around the buck bedding that I do find. And this is more of a early season system or late season. It's not a rut. I mean, you can't hunt buck bedding during the rut, but they're usually not there. They're, the does just take them wherever you want. So guys have to keep in mind, if you like rut hunting, you might struggle a little bit with, with the system I'm running. But it is doable, but I feel like the early season is where it truly shines. And then uh, you can transition that into the late season a little bit. So as you're going out scouting, like, and you're saying, well, I'm looking for buck beds. So uh, how many, you know, how many buck beds are you looking for? How, and then what are you doing with that information when you get it? You know, so you'd mentioned trail cameras, you'd mentioned, you know, um, you know, that it's, postseason scouting versus like summer and you, you know so so let's say that you find a, a a buck bed like that it doesn't end there right yeah that's correct i'm i'm finding all the details like i'll carry a code and a hat and i'll hang it in the bed and i'll back off of it down his exit trails as far as i can until i can't see it anymore and then I'll take into account the wind, the thermals. I'm going to see the setup I need to be in. I'll find the tree that I want. I'll video the tree so I can remember exactly what it looks like, how high I need to be, where I'm climbing it at. I need to find access to that tree. And sometimes I won't even end up in that tree from the postseason. I might have to make an adjustment on the fly because maybe something changed maybe the buck's using a different trail or something to exit or a food source change that he's long lining to. Uh, there could be like a secondary food source that lights up and gets hot. Like an, maybe acorns are dropping on a different side of the bedding area this year than last year. So the postseason is crucial to find the bedding because you can see all the fresh sign. You can see the beds really well. And then you take that information and then you carry that into the season and you kind of scout your way in um i'll lay in the buck bed so i can see what the deer's seeing so i can look out and figure out all right how high do i need to be in that tree because i'm i'm i hunt pretty low i'm a low hunter i'll hunt nine ten foot off the ground most of the time and a lot of guys think that's pretty crazy but if you get too high in a tree, the buck can see you from his bed. So you have to really be careful, even though you're that hundred yards away and you can't see your hat or coat. You got to remember that when, the higher you get in the tree, the more visible you are from a distance from that buck bed. Um, and I'll take into account like any kind of odd terrain features that might change the wind or thermals because just because you got a west wind doesn't mean it's going to be a west wind when you get in there. So you got to really uh, key in on the wind too. So that's a lot of the steps I'm taking when I find these beds. Uh, what time of year too? Because 
he might be there early season, but he might not be there later into the rut. I mean, he might not be there at all after the rut. You got to kind of figure out like the betting opportunity and you can kind of learn that through what sign they leave. It can kind of give it away if it's a rut bed or early season bed. So in that, uh, two to three year system where, uh, time frame where it took you to like really get dialed in like year one, year two, like, what do you think were some of the things that stopped you from being successful or that, that you didn't quite have, like, what was the hardest thing to adjust to? Having that no balls, no bucks mentality, man. Like you get, you get nervous, you get edgy. Like you find these big bucks and you don't want to blow them out. You don't want to ruin your opportunity because you transition from hunting field edges where you only get a couple opportunities, one or two on a true buck because you're, you're waiting on him to come to you kind of thing. You're not going to the buck. So I feel like you just get a lot of nerves and you're not quite as confident because you're not reading the beds as good. You're not uh, figuring out all the fine details as much. So I feel like just being really cautious hurts you a lot. So are there in that first, you know, one, two years or, or maybe even, even recently, because um, you, you know, before we were talking here, before we were recording, you said, you know, um, there isn't any deer hunting Superman, right? So is there, is there a, a, a hunt like in that first one or two year, uh, stretch or one that's even more recently that like really like has stuck in your mind as like, you know, like a mistake that was made or like where you say like, you know, everybody's got like the one that got away, like only if I would have done this or only if I would have done this, is there something that you like a hunt where you learned something that, that could help other guys? Yeah. When I, the first year I started, I got on some really, really big bucks. And man, I made so many mistakes because I was just learning the system. I was really cautious. And it, man, it just really cost me. And I was uh, trying to stay in my comfort zone too much. I was trying to find like perfect trees. And uh, there's a lot of trees I couldn't hunt out of because of my system wasn't dialed in. You have to know how to hunt a deer first, but your, uh, your gear can really affect you too. So transitioning into this, uh, mobile hunting, the gear really held me back a little bit. Cause I was, uh, still using kind of traditional, like field edge type gear preset type stuff, like crazy heavy, man. Um, and the industry was not there yet because it was kind of before the boom when I transitioned into this. So you're just trying to make shift gear work for you. So uh, the gear kind of held me back a little bit, not being willing to get out of my comfort zone as much, not having the confidence, um, trying to transition out of like the traditional setup type things was tough for me because your whole, your whole knowledge base is just built on what you knew before, you know, and totally scrapping that can be tough. So I, I struggle with more like just not diving in that first sit. Like, I, I think I was letting the deer know that I was hunting him too much. Like, 
And that really hurt me really bad. So you think like in that instance there where you're saying like letting the deer know that you're hunting, do you think it was like over hunting like a certain deer or, you know, and, and does that come into play like for guys that don't have all the, like, let's say that they, you, at that point, you probably didn't have as many buck beds figured out as you do now. So you only had so many, uh, you know, you get focused on one deer too much or something like that. Yeah. Um, you have limited inventory and spots. So you try to play it safe and you try to hunt your way in. And, but that buck knows you're there. You, you're putting pressure on that buck after even that first sit. And then you're letting him know, Hey, game on buddy. And that buck's going to really tighten down his core area. He's not going to move that much during daylight at all ever. And he's going to, they almost pattern you. Like they know what you're doing. It's, uh, that class of animals, just a way different game than what you're used to playing when you're on field edges and stuff. And then that's where you start learning to postseason scout. Cause that's where my drive comes in to postseason scout as much as possible. Cause I want to find as many deer as I can. So I don't have to feel like I have to play it safe on the buck. I got lots of opportunities and room to mess up because you're going to make mistakes. It's, I mean, there's no, there's no getting around that. It's going to happen. Like you have to be okay blowing out giant bucks or you're going to blow out a couple does on your way in and they're going to fly by the buck and push him out. Or you're not going to play the wind quite right. And he's going to light you up, but failure is your best teacher. So you have to be willing to just take those hits to learn. And then, but having that inventory, man, gives you a lot of freedom to dive in there. Your first set should be your kill set every single time. So like from that perspective, right. And saying like postseason scouting is where it's at. Like we're getting ready. You know, everybody, I feel like July, August is where everybody's transitioned to whitetail. They're saying, okay, now it's time. Now it's time to get serious where all the serious guys are saying, I can sit back a little bit, you know, cause I did all my postseason scouting and I'm good. So they're saying, Hey, Rendell, man, I, I didn't do my postseason scouting. I'm good. We're going into this. You say that, you know, anybody can do this, this system and go out and find these buck beds. Like, what do I do now between July and August or do I just wait and cash this one in and next season will be my season. <laughs> I would dive in and scout like crazy right now. And you're probably not going to, you can, if you have experience, you can see the beds from postseason based on just your knowledge of the wind. But if you're a brand new guy starting out now, you're going to struggle with finding the actual beds. I would concentrate more just on the bedding areas that set up for the wind. Uh, they all have like characteristics that you can just learn like basic principles. Like most terrains, the buck is bedded with the wind coming over his back and he's looking out. Uh, they like to watch access areas, openings, or they're just way back and the furthest part overlook spots. Um, I feel like sometimes the the deer bed in layers in some situations where like the does will be bedded out front and then the younger bucks and then the mature buck will be behind all of them. So if you can find just general deer bedding areas, it can 
sometimes put you in the game too. Uh, community scrapes, I like to really isolate those out. They're really key spots for me to run cameras at. And then if you have a camera, say, on a community scrape, and he's getting there in daylight, then you, you know you're close to the bedding area because a mature buck's not moving very far during daylight. A hundred yards, maybe a little bit more than that most of the time. So you could use trail camera inventory to be like, all right, I'm really close to this buck's bed. It's got to be here somewhere. Then you can go back and look at the wind for that day and then pick apart the area for that wind. Like, okay, well, if he's bedded with the wind over his back, he has to be over here. Like if you're in hill country, he's going to be on the leeward side of the ridge. Then you'd be like, okay, well, there's only one ridge he can be on and it's got to be that one right there. So that can help you uh, narrow down some bedding on the fly if you're not really getting that postseason scouting done. Or you can just wait until season and scout your way in. But you're going to have to be okay with passing up sign that most guys usually set up on because I blow right by it. It's letting me know there's a buck in the area, but you got to get way deeper than that sign that most guys are first setting up on. And what's that sign that you're walking by? I mean, like that you think a, a guy would set up on and like, you know, everything is situational, right? So it's not like, it's not like, oh, yeah, it's it's this, it's that. But, you know, what do you think, where do you think most guys make a mistake in setting up on this sign? Like, for example. Field edge, field edge rubs, scrapes, even like uh, the secondary layers behind field edge, they're setting up on random rubs that are just out in the middle of nowhere. Like hill country, there'll be one big rub out in this open hardwoods and there'll be a guy on it. And I'm like, that buck's never going there in daylight. Like, it's just not going to happen. They're hitting all these, there'll be one random, like scrape a buck made at night somewhere. And they'll, they'll hunt on that. It's not a bedding scrape or a community scrape. And it's not like a signpost rub type thing. I'm looking for sign that's adjacent to bedding like every time that's the sign that gets me excited is stuff that is by bedding and then you gotta you gotta be okay pushing past that to try to get closer to the bedding area okay so are you a big um like glassing guy or like spotlighting guy i mean what's verifying that these beds have the caliber of buck that you're you're going for Okay, there's a couple of different ways you can do this. Um, sometimes big tracks, like all I see is a giant buck track. Like last year, that buck that I shot, I only knew he was there because of a buck track I found when I took my buddy shed hunting in there. I just happened to run across some massive buck tracks and I followed it back and it ended out in this Marsh Bay area. And I'm like, oh, if there's a buck here, he's going to be bedded back there somewhere and i just took a mental note of that and kept going with my buddy uh trail camera inventory can really help sometimes i will glass um i usually like glassing on the road i will go back in the like isolated fields but i would suggest glassing early in the summer i usually start around like this time of year because the racks are uh you know, they're more than probably half developed right now, I think. So you can tell if a buck's going to be what you want to chase or not. If you go in earlier than that, they're still kind of growing. So you can't tell as good. 
So I usually start my glassing like right now, I'll go out and hit, but I want to make sure that I'm going out early because I don't want to influence the buck's movement or let them know I'm there closer to deer season. So probably like the last month before opener, I don't go into the woods at all. I stay out because I'm, I'm an early season guy, so I don't want to influence that. So after about July, August, I won't really go in and glass anymore in isolated places. And all I got to do is see the buck once. And some of the deer will stay. Um, some will leave. It's just the way it is when they transition in the fall pattern. But I find that the mature bucks tighten up their core a lot more than the younger bucks do. So I count on the older bucks being in that area a lot more when I find them, especially like the true, like old, old giant bucks that are like six and a half plus, like they narrow down their core area so much because they've lived there for so long. Like they feel super confident and sometimes like uh, crop rotation can change that a little bit. But I find that once a, if a bedding area is holding a mature buck there's going to be a mature buck there most of the time they'll long line out the food because that's the best bedding that they can have and a buck would rather have great bedding than worry about traveling to food so when you say that you're not going into an area like month before the season or whatever like what's your trail camera scenario though because like there's guys like jake bush who say you know i'm going to set my cameras you know july august and I'm not going to pull them until two weeks before season because that I can't do anything with those pictures until the season anyways. So it doesn't change the information that's going to be on the camera. So I'm just going to go in there and verify like what's on there. And then maybe there is a somewhat of a shift. So, you know, he's there, he's there, he's there. You You get this buck, you're all excited on them or you go in there and there's nothing on the camera at the end of August, you know, after a month or so, but then you go back, if you were to have left that camera, they would have moved, you know, a little bit back or pressure has pushed them into now where you're going to be. So what are you doing with your, your trail cameras? How are you setting them? And then how are you, when are you checking them? The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history designed by John Browning. The 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. So, most of the time I'm running, I run a ton of soaker cameras. And I'll just put them close to bedding where I don't want to be to check them often. And I'll leave them there all season long. And I wrote, I rotate that data over to this season because I've seen a whole year's worth of trail camera inventory and data from the last year. And I can, now I can try to apply it into this season because uh, I'm a mature buck's pretty patternable because they're more creatures of habit they do a lot of the same things all the time. They don't really do stuff without reason. So I feel like I'm catching that shift. If they do shift in and out, I'm going to know it from the years, uh, data from the year before. 
So a lot of my new spots that I find in the postseason, I might not go in and hunt it at all. I might just put a camera in there and soak it for one season before I ever go back to it and hunt. If I do hunt a new area, it's usually because I caught a buck on maybe the first camera check or I have confidence in the sign. I found that there's got to be a giant buck there just from like the tracks or the size of rubs or the how the bed's set up because when you lay in the buck bed and you think to yourself, how would I ever kill this deer? It's usually a mature buck's bedding there. And I kind of count on that. I will uh, run some cameras on field edges, but I feel like glassing or, or if it's legal in your state to spotlight, I feel like you get way more inventory and you can cover ground quicker than running a camera on a field edge. So I tend to push my cameras deeper. The biggest bucks I find them the year before, I usually run cell cameras somewhere close. So I don't have to go in and check the cameras at all. I never have to go back. And I'm just looking for one photo, uh, one set of tracks, seeing them once. And then I can kind of correlate that with the time of day he's on the camera to how far away he's bedded, what the wind was. And that'll kind of key in what bedding area he was on when I got a picture of him. And that's all I need is just the one photo. So that's just kind of what I'm looking for. I'm not patterned deer with my cameras at all. I'm relying on my intel of the area and the wind to help me narrow down where I need to be on him. So you're a postseason scouting guy. You do an exorbitant amount of miles, you know, you mentioned the number 300, right? When are you setting these cameras to, to soak? Cause if I'm, you know, like we've talked about previously, you know, if you're going, you know, say to do a postseason scout and you're going three hours away and you find something, you know, are you setting a camera in January for two seasons from now? Or are you going back in there? You know, when are you setting that camera to soak? Uh, July is my camera month. That way I can go in there. My sense not influence anything. And then it'll give me a good idea. Like if the, if I get a buck in there in July, then I don't get any pictures of him during the season that I know he's, he's shifting out and he's gone. And I don't really need to worry about that buck. Cause he's not going to be there. I'm seeing what bucks are shifting in. So that July to after season is my time frame. I'll go back in like Iowa ends like January 10th. So I'll roll back in after that and I'll start scouting immediately. If there's no snow on the ground, if there's snow on the ground, I don't, I don't really scout because it's hard to see the trails and the scrapes and stuff like that. And the beds will be covered up. You can see the snow beds, but a lot of times the bedding for late season will be a little different than uh, the actual hunting season. So I don't care as much as the, what the deer are doing when the snow's on the ground and stuff. So for me, that's a key thing to know if there's snow on the ground, just wait, but I will pop in there and grab my cameras out and then start going through them to see what kind of data I got. Um, so when I put them out in July, I'll check all my cameras again, as close to that, one month mark as I can where I don't like going into a spot because I'm putting my camera so deep. So maybe Iowa opens October 1st. So I might 
like maybe the first week of September is the latest I kind of want to be in there. And if I do get a big buck, I usually carry a cell cam with me. So I can, if I do get a giant, I can just put that cell camera right there to replace that soaker camera. So I don't have to be in there consistently checking the cameras. So that helps me out a lot too, by, I get that instant data kind of, but I'm not, I just need that picture to let me know he's in the area. So uh, take take me through the process of like the the soaker camera, right? So how do you choose where you're going to going to place one of those? Like is it is it a spot that you want to hunt? Is it a well-traveled corridor that you're just trying to say I'm going to get the most pictures that I can so I'm going to have the highest odds of getting a picture of a big deer if he's moving through here or is it uh, you know, on a certain bed, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I like to put them in community scrapes between bedding areas. Cause then I can get multiple Intel on multiple bedding areas. Like I can get, you know, a lot more pictures cause they'll come out to that. Sometimes I will put them right in the bedding area, but I feel like they pick them out really easy. Sometimes if you don't do it right, if you're not hiding them really good, like 10 feet high and have a good backdrop on the camera. And it's gotta be a certain camera that doesn't click when it transitions in the nighttime photos or have a bunch of lights on it. Cause I feel like the mature bucks pick the cameras out a ton. So I try to stay out of the bedding area, but I will push them back where I don't want to be. And they're usually spots I would hunt. They're like in that hundred yard bubble or just outside of it. Cause that's the Intel I'm going to use to actually hunt. Like I tend not to run them on field edges. I think too, cause I hunt public, like it's a higher chance your camera's going to get stolen on the field edge or whatnot. I'm more interested in what's happening where I'm actually going to be hunting. So I, I get more out of it, having it pushed way back in the bedding for the whole season. I can kind of see if anything comes in and out of the rut in there in the bedding area. Like my whole philosophy and the other guys that do, it's all based on the bedding. So you've said before, like previously, like gear, you know, get out there and scout, you know, don't, don't rely on the gear. The gear isn't going to kill the deer for you, but you just talked about uh, cell cams and trail cameras and ones that make, different noises and things like that so not even necessarily a cell camera but like for like trail cameras is there ones that you found better than others that don't you know because that that could be a huge thing for guys that you know are just buying what's on sale uh here there you know what i mean yeah i actually just tend to buy whatever's on clearance man as many cameras as i can get because i'm you know, I scouted 300 miles and I try to hit that mark. I might even try for 400 next year and I got to have cameras to cover this. Like, but that's where I'm not really putting those cameras in the bedding areas. Cause I learned that it just pushes the big bucks out. If it's in there for a long time, I've talked to some other guys that run cameras in bedding areas and that deer might get used to it and come back. But I feel like I don't really want to take that chance. So if you're outside of the bedding area, I don't think it matters as much. And uh, so I just run whatever I can get. Um, The cell cams, there's a lot of really good products out there for that. 
some of them are better than others. I tend to run tactic cams just because they're cheap. I mean, like 119 bucks for a cell cams hard to beat. But like Exodus trail cameras have really good high-end cameras uh, for cell cams. So if you got a little bit more better budget than me, or if you have uh, private land and you're hunting a smaller area, I'd probably spend the money to get the better camera, honestly. But I'm so spread out. I have to have a budget camera because I just need uh, so many of them. Um, and uh, deer hunting deer versus hunting gear is just... Uh, I mean, the gear does matter a little bit, but there's so many guys I see on social media that are so caught up in the gear, man. Like they're worried about ounces and brand names and they get to thinking, oh, if I buy this, I'm going to be a killer. And that's just not true. I mean, to be a killer, you have to be a killer without gear. I mean, I can kill a deer out of a tree stand, saddle, off the ground, ground blind, you know what I mean? A guy that consistently can kill deer is going to get it done no matter what. I've used some super cheap gear that most guys would probably laugh at me for using. And I've killed some giant bucks with it. I mean, you got to be in your budget. Um, lately, I think a lot of that just comes from learning because Andy May has that philosophy that you want to you wanna fix your weakest link. So I think I spent so much time learning about deer and bedding and uh, deer behavior. I really neglected my gear and I'm more in a position now where I can uh, spend a little bit more money on stuff. And I've, I've learned that it's better to buy once, cry once. So I'm using it more as a tool and I'm trying to up my gear game, my knowledge of it, how it works, getting a little bit better quality stuff to fill that uh, link. Cause I feel like that other stuff I have covered pretty good, but you never want to get where you, you think, you know, it all. Like I'm a lifelong learner. I try to learn every day, no matter what I do, what I listen to. So the gear does influence things, but not as much. It's more of a, it's a tool. Like it's going to make you more efficient, I think, or it'll help you in certain situations. I might use gear differently than other guys do. Also. Yeah, and I mentioned this on a podcast previously, which was really just like a rant. But it's like us as podcast hosts or social media guys, like we're the problem. You know, if I had you on here to talk about like how awesome your Skeletor sticks are, and like that's the only reason that you killed that deer last year is because you had the first iteration of the Skeletor sticks, and they're the greatest thing known to man. Like, that's going to click in somebody's head and they're going to be like, and it's so easy to like fall prey to, and, and we all like shiny stuff and like, Oh, that looks cool. And that's neat. And like, when you see it, you know, and you see like, Oh, well, maybe that'll help me. Like, you know, and I, I said, you know, if you want to, if you decide that you want a new bow, like go shoot your bow for like a dozen arrows every day for two weeks and then see if you still need a new bow. If you think that, you know, it's not hitting or it's, you know, whatever. Or if you want a new trail camera, go put on 10 or 15 miles of scouting, find five different spots where you need to put that trail camera. And it's kind of like what we were talking about with like your transition from year one to year three to year seven is 
it's because of the time that you put in. It wasn't because of the money that you spent on deer. It's because of the sacrifices that you made to go out there and like make it happen. Like how have you seen, cause you know, in kind of like when you said like you were ready to like quit hunting, you had said er earlier to me, you know, that you couldn't buy all the redneck blinds and try all this gear and the scents and all that stuff. So like, how do you think social media and in podcasts and YouTube like has influenced like the average hunter that you see at a show or whatever? I feel like it puts pressure on you to be just like that guy. Like you think if you want to make it somewhere, you have to be that guy. If you want to kill big bucks, you have to be that dude. So you buy everything that guy runs. A lot of guys do that. Um, it, it's a, you got to understand that the industry is all about making money. It's a marketing thing. That's how these guys stay in business. Um, I would, caution who you really pay attention to or listen to i more got really more into like i don't know just using discernment against who's telling me what like i'd rather listen to an underground guy or maybe a, a mainstream guy but they get it they get it done my way like if a guy's killing deer on private land every year and i'm hunting public every year like he his stuff he's doing might not be the best for me like there's different ways to get it done. So you got to kind of understand your situation where you're at and you got to really get in with like, find like-minded guys. Um, consistency, I think to me is key. Like anybody can sit in the rut funnel and a big buck rolls through and they shoot it one year. Then maybe five years later, it happens for them again. I'm looking for guys that are going in and every year, and it may not be the biggest buck, but they're still, they're still harvesting bucks on a high clip every single year. And you can, I would uh, DM people on Facebook Messenger, Instagram, whatever, and just talk to them and get a feel for them. Like a lot of the people I've met that don't try to sell you stuff right at the bat or the guys that you kind of want to listen to, they're more genuine. Like they're just going to tell you the straight up truth. Like I'm more that, I'm that guy. Like I'm just going to tell you straight up why, what I use, why I use it. And I'm not going to try to sell you on something I don't believe in because that's just the type of guy I am. So I would uh, kind of just use your discernment on that. I'd rather listen to a guy that's going to help teach me how to deer hunt versus try to steer me into, oh, you got to have this piece of gear. You're never going to kill a deer type conversation. Um, and I want to know why. Like, why are you using that? So I always ask guys why, because I want to hear why, not just because, oh, you know, they sponsor me or I get a paycheck from them. I want to know legitly in the woods, like what is their, what is their mindset towards that piece of gear? What, what's that tool doing for them? And then I can relay that back to my style of hunting and be like, is that something I really want to run or not? It's more about what it's going to do for me in the woods than be flashy, cool, you know? So I want stuff that's efficient. What I'm doing is really hard to do. The type of bucks I'm hunting, I don't want to risk that on like just gimmicks. Like I want stuff that's going to work. So, and I kind of vet gear too. I'll run, sometimes I'll run gear for a while before I uh, believe in it or tell people to buy it. You know, I want to vet it myself before I recommend it. Uh, some of the companies that I promote their stuff, I've already used their stuff for a couple of years and 
So I know it works. It worked for me. So I don't have a problem like telling people, Hey, this, you know, this is it. If you want to get this, this is what I use. And this is why I think it's good. And everybody's different too. Like it may not work uh, for somebody else, but it just works for me. So I've just tried to be honest and be genuine with everybody. And I think that it's kind of hard to find that, but I think that's kind of what I steer towards in guys. Yeah. Like one thing we kind of were joking about earlier and, you know, it's funny to me, but probably not to you because you're on the other side of it. Right. But like you had mentioned, you know, if a guy is hunting on, on private land and that's not the style that you hunt, like, you know, maybe, maybe his style, maybe his, uh, tactics, maybe that won't do anything for you. Right. But the other side of that is, is like, so I'm going to take advice from, from you, but you're in Iowa and there's booners around every corner and everybody is saying like, Oh, it's just so easy because he's in Iowa. How can I, you know, how can I take what he's saying seriously when I'm here in Michigan and you know, the, the Michigan booner and the Iowa booner are way different. <laughs> right. Yeah. I do get some guys that uh, give me some heat in the DMs about I only kill big bucks because I live in Iowa and there's a booner behind every tree. But I mean, there's not a booner behind every tree. What I'm doing is hard, no matter where you live. Um, I do chase a higher caliber of deer because I live in Iowa. Like I have that ability to chase 200 inch deer every season. It's super hard to find them, and it's it's still pretty rare to find them on public. I'm not, I don't have food plots. I'm not growing deer on a farm that I have exclusive rights to. Like I have the ability to hunt this public land like anybody else. So it's a little bit harder, I think. Uh, even some of the free permission land that I could get on that's private. There's more. There's more guys on that then there is some of the public because guys got that perception in their mind that, Oh, it's private. It's gotta be way better. But for me, I don't care where that deer is, man. I'm just looking for that uh, big buck, a mature deer, and I'm going to hunt him where he's at. So that's another reason why I cast a wide net. Like I go into multiple different terrains. I travel anywhere. There's, there's spots guys drive by every day. And they're like, there's no way there's a big buck in there. And they never scout it. And I pop in there and there's a big buck there. Well, why, you know what I mean? Why is he there? Cause no one ever goes in there. It's like super overlooked. I mean, it's such a silly spot sometimes where I find some of these big deer and, uh, the system, the bedding system, I think, uh, it'll work anywhere. It might not get you a 200 because it's not feasible. You don't have that genetics, but it'll get you onto the older deer. Like, cause the older deer just thinks and acts totally different than a younger deer. So when you, when you change your mindset and be open-minded and you start hunting differently for that different buck, you're going to have more success at finding that in your own area. So can you expound on that a little bit when you say like that it's a different animal that they think differently and they act differently, like in, in what way, what are you seeing different from, uh, two and a half, three-year-old deer to a four and a half, five-year-old deer? The older deer just don't seem to make the mistakes. They don't daylight themselves. They're in really hard spots to hunt because they have the wind advantage. They have the sight advantage. They move really slow and they don't move very far in daylight. 
I call it the, like the bubble is what I usually call it, that 100-yard bubble. And sometimes even that 100-yard bubble is not close enough to catch that buck in daylight. They're more browsing in their bedding area or they're bedded adjacent to like secondary food sources and they're staying there until dark. They're mostly moving at night all the time. They're back in their bed before daylight. So it's harder to hunt in the morning. You're pretty much just hunting them in the afternoon unless it's the rut. They don't do anything without a reason. They're maximizing the wind, thermals, the terrain. Like they're really precise in what they're doing. Uh, Their level of alertness, I think it's just different. Like they have almost like a, it's like a gut feeling they get. Like they're really good at picking out danger, people's presence. Um, Some of them, everybody thinks they leave. Like if you put pressure on them, I almost feel like a lot of them will play the game with you. Like they pattern you and they, and they're still there. They just don't leave where they've lived their whole life because that's where they feel safe. I think they just tighten up their movement way more than what people are are expecting. And then they don't they don't hunt to uh, maximize on that. They're staying on the field edges or out in the fields. They're only halfway back on like scrapes and rub lines. They're not pushing back onto his playing field because they're. Uh, They're uh, seeing, they're seeing deer other places. Like they get trapped into this. They got to see does and young bucks. So the bedding style system I'm hunting, you're not going to see a lot of deer. Like you're not going to see a ton of does. You're not going to see a ton of young bucks. You're going to go a ton of sits without seeing deer at all. So you got to be mentally tough. But the deer you do see are going to be the ones you want to kill. So when you say, um, you know, you might not see too many deer, you, it's going to be, you know, you have to be patient. You got to have the mental fortitude. Um, but you also say like, you're not like, you know, you're not growing deer, you're not doing food plots, you're not doing any of this other stuff. Like, so do you ever find yourself in a situation where like, you know, a lot of guys, I feel like that hunt big deer like giant deer you know 200 inch deer like whatever will say oh i gotta had an encounter with this good up and comer or i know that this so do you have that type of situation like when you're setting these soaker cameras and you're you're um at midway usa we know the ar-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern american history Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. You know, going back through trail camera photos or having encounters, like, is does that like enter your mind like oh there was a this deer will be good next year so I, in two years i'll go back to that spot maybe he'll be something that i want to chase like how, how does that go for you every buck i get on camera i make a folder on my computer and the pictures go in there and i analyze it i have uh 
notes on it, what when they were there on, what time, which will have the timestamp anyway, but then I can kind of tell how far away they were away from the bedding. I do keep tabs because even on public land, a lot of these deers live to be really old, like way older than what people think. So I want to keep tabs on that. I've been watching a buck for three years already. I I see him every year and he's just getting bigger and bigger, but I'm just on other bigger deer. So I've never even hunted him yet. I've never even got time to roll in there to hunt him because I got so many spots and I find so many deer that are bigger than him that I'd rather be hunting. So you can, I'm not farming the deer, but I guess like, <laughs> you know, nature is per se, but anybody can go in there and kill that deer because he's on public. So I don't count on it. I do keep tabs on it, but I'm not like chomping at the bit like, oh man, three years, like, because anything can happen. He could get hit by a car. He could get EHD. A coyote could kill him. He could get a sickness. So I'm not really counting on that. I'm playing year to year the deck that I have on the bucks that I actually want to kill that year, but I will watch you know, younger deer come up and I might have some history with them. A lot of the bedding stuff will have satellite bedding that the younger bucks tend to be in because the, the mature buck's going to be in the best spot every single time. The only time the biggest buck really isn't is there's a more dominant, like a bully buck. You hear guys talk about like the buck just fights every single buck in the area. I find that if there's one of those, they might be in the main bedding, like the best bed in that spot. And then the bigger deer might actually be in the satellite bedding. But most of the time, the younger deer are around it in the not so good bedding. So they will go by you. Um, You have to be really careful. Don't be messing around when they come by you. Cause I feel like the mature buck almost uses them as like puppets, you know? If they catch something and they start acting funny or they start blowing or stomping or something, it could, you know, it could alert that big buck and he's just going to stay in his bed until after dark or he might get up and blow out of there on certain situations. So uh, you just brought up something there that we haven't really touched on. You said, you know, that deer could be killed by someone else. Uh, how are you reacting or dealing with or working around other hunter pressure? You just got to have confidence, man, like that you're going to get it done. It's not, I don't really have an ego, but you just got to have that mentality when you're all in the woods, man, like you're going to hunt differently than what they're hunting. Like you got to have confidence in your Intel, your scouting ability that you're going to be able to get closer to that deer that other guy might not be on that deer. Or if he accidentally does and he's set up wrong, which I find a lot, like a lot of guys set up where their wind's wrong and that buck knew they were, knew they were there before that guy ever got there or they seen him come in. I'll just bounce out, man. It'll move that buck to a different bedding area. So I might, if I'm walking in and I see a guy in the spot I was going to, I immediately just start looking and thinking about the next bedding area that sets up for that wind. And then I'll go get on that bedding. Cause I feel like, well, what if that guy made a mistake or he busted the buck out or whatever? And it doesn't really throw me off as much. The only time it kind of flusters you is like, I went to Missouri last year and I had this one place I was hunting. 
And when I walked in, there were 60 headlamps behind me. I bet like just an insane amount of guys. And then it was really hard to bounce around that. So I ended up just leaving that area. You can't be stubborn and just be locked in on one area. That's why I scout so much too, because it gives me flexibility. Like if a guy rolls into a spot where I got a big buck, to me, it's just, I got another one I found. I'm just going to bounce out. If the guy kills it, he kills it. Like kudos to him. Like I'll even help him drag it out if he gets it kind of guy. Like that's awesome. I don't get like super territorial over bucks. That's why I just try to find as many as I can because it gives me the flexibility to jump on another one. Like I can just hop in my truck and drive down to the closest place I got to that area and just hop in on another one. So from that perspective, from that side of it, like when you were in that first one or two years and you were making mistakes and you were being too, um, you weren't being aggressive enough, you know, you were, you were hanging back. Like, did you have a different sense of confidence, a different mentality then? Cause I think like a lot of guys don't have all these spots. They don't have all this stuff. So like, what do you say to, you know, one or two year old, uh, buck bed hunting rental, you know, in that situation when you run into guys, man, don't let it fluster you, man. <laughs> don't let it start getting you turned around and you're all mad and you're pissed off because the guy's in there and you think you ruined your whole life because you can't hunt that deer and he's going to, he's going to kill it. And you're, then you're going to be out, man. It's just like <laughs> stick to the grindstone, man. I mean, put your head down and get in there and just, it's just dive in the boxing match. Like get in there on the deer too. Like, don't be afraid of that other guy. Cause who knows what that guy's doing? Like he could be hunting totally wrong. That's what I learned after I started looking at guys setups and stuff. Like they weren't taking into account their thermals. They weren't watching the wind. They really didn't know where the bedding area was or they were pushing the deer deeper to a spot that you knew about, but you let this guy get you in a frizzy and you left and went and hunted somewhere else. Like jump back into the other bedding area. That's why that scouting all those miles really helps because uh, especially the places closer to home, I try to know the area as best as I can. That way you can bounce around the pressure. There might be some little overlooked spot that the deer is going to slide into. Um, there is just some spots that you would, everybody just walks by that I probably wouldn't hunt two, year, uh, two years in Rendell into the mobile hunting thing. I would just go by it and never look in there, but there's a, uh, there's some crazy spots that just hold deer and some places don't even have trees. Like you got to take into account that buck's going to be where he doesn't get harassed. So you might be hunting like a CRP field with like two trees in it, or you got to strap 10 willows together to hold my giant butt up in a tree without it falling over, you know, or you're just going to have to hunt on the ground. Like, just because you got a tree stand or a saddle doesn't mean you got to use it. I'm going to use the tool that's going to help me the best in that scenario at the time of it. So just because you spend all that money on the saddle doesn't mean you got to use it every single time. Sometimes you're sitting on the ground. So like, I think a lot of guys would be where, where the hang up is, is like, on the mental side of it. Like, so when there's other car cars in the parking lot, when that was the spot that I was going, like 
you know, you're out there and there is a million headlamps and stuff like that. Like uh, what has helped you to like, kind of overcome that like self-deprecation or like, you know, where you get into your own mind and you're like, well, this sucks. I, I, you know, there's, it, it did, it ruined all my, you know, because I think that that is the fear of most guys on, on public land. It's, it isn't, it isn't that the deer aren't there. If you've done any sort of homework, the deer are there. Like you'll be able to find them. You'll be able to find another one. But then when plan A goes sideways and you're, you don't have a confident plan B, like the mental side of it, like how do you, what would you tell guys to like be able to deal with that, the mental side of it? At the end of the day, it's just a deer, man. Like that's all it is. It's just a deer. It's supposed to be fun. Keep it fun. Like you don't want to get burned out and be miserable. I mean, we do this because we love it. It's a passion, which I understand like, you know, getting down or getting frustrated and all, but at the end of the day, like who, who doesn't want to be out in the woods? I mean, you could be at work, working like who wants to do that man i mean you get the opportunity and you're blessed to be out in the outdoors and seeing mother nature it's not all about killing stuff either you got to remember that like relaxation time with friends i'd almost rather see my buddies buddies succeed than me like i get way more enjoyment out of my friends killing deer than i do because i'm just it's just awesome man i get pumped up for them just seeing that emotion and stuff like i i feel like I don't know. I just don't really have anything to prove. Like you're just out there hunting, man. Make it fun. Like don't let that stuff happen. Like get in your mind, like keep it simple too. Like don't overthink things. Like the deer have to be somewhere. Like you said, go where people aren't. I mean, so for instance, last year in Missouri, I switched from that place and I went to another one and there was 40 guys hunting a 400 acre piece. A guy pulls in with a 30 foot trailer full of tree stands man and he goes carpet bombs this public land with all these fixed tree stands and man guys are like freaked out they're like oh he just puts in everywhere where am i gonna hunt dude i set up right by the parking lot like i literally could see my pickup truck and uh, a buck came by me five minutes after last shooting light if i would have made one little adjustment towards my truck more I would have killed the buck, but I stayed back because I'm like, you know, I didn't even trust that. I'm like, man, this is stupid. You know, it's like guys are driving by seeing me hanging in my saddle off the road and they're all stopping and staring at me and laughing at me. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, what am I doing? But then that buck rolls in. I mean, there's somewhere on there like just man, sometimes you just got to be crazy and just think outside the box, do stuff. That's how you learn, man. Just keep it fun. This whole pressure thing, trying to be somebody, like, I don't really worry about that, man. I don't care if I'm famous. Like, it was never my goal to begin with. Like, I just love to hunt, man. Like, at the end of the day, like, if I didn't, if I wasn't on pro teams and pro staffs and stuff like that, I would still be out there hunting and grinding, man. Like, I've only had social media for, like, maybe two years that I've actually been doing stuff. There's so many pictures and videos that I never even post that I don't know, man. It's just, it's just fun to me. Like, I just want to be out there now and just hunt, man. You get older, life's short, man. Life's too short to worry about some of this stuff. At the end of the day, like when you're in your grave, are you worried about that buck you <laughs> flew out of his bed? Like probably not, man. 
So you talk about like being a lifelong learner and, you know, watching things, listening to things, reading things. And that's something that I'm going to get into this year. You know, it's another one of the things that I talked about, like on my rant about like what's wrong. Like, it's like, if you want to be a better hunter, you have to go out there and you have to seek it out and you have to find it. And so, you know, I mentioned a couple of different books and I was like, you know, if you want to buy a new piece of gear, like read a book, like find yourself a book, read through that book and say, okay, once I finish this book and I digest the information. So do you have a good like hunting resource where you'd be like, this book right here is like one of my go-tos? Mapping Trophy Bucks is probably my favorite book because it gets into a lot of the bedding and wind stuff, but it gets into other setups and things, how bucks move. So that's probably one of my favorite books. It's kind of hard to find if you do find one. They might be like crazy, like 100, 200 bucks online. Um, I really like Dan Infall's DVDs. He got like hill country bedding, farm bedding, swamp, marsh bedding. So I watch a lot of those. That'll help you visually because he'll map it out on like a topo and it'll show you visually on a topo map how the bucks are bed. He's in there dissecting the bedding. So that really helped me out when I first started. Um just talking to guys shows don't be afraid to like message me like a lot of guys are like oh man i don't even know if you'd even talk to me you know i'm like what the heck man like i don't feel like i put that vibe off at (laughs) all man i love to talk about deer hunting man i live for this stuff there's a lot of guys right now that i'm teaching how to hunt bedding in my dms every day like i send them videos they send me videos Man, we talk about all different topics. I help them break down places they hunt. Like, I just love to help people. Uh, I'm a teacher, so it's just what I do for a career right now. It just comes naturally to me. I'd rather, like, help other people than be stingy with my time or my skill set because I feel like I have, you know, they say that guys just have it. Like, sometimes it's hard for me just to tell people because I just have it, I guess. Like, when I look at something, I just do it naturally. Like, so sometimes it's hard to translate stuff, but I've been trying really hard to be able to break that down for people and help people learn and things like that. So, but just approach people, man, talk to them. Like guys love it. If they hunt as hard as I do, they're going to talk to you about it. If they won't talk to you about it, find somebody else. Like I'm not somebody that's going to hide it because I feel like it's a secret sauce because it's not like, there's so many people that do it already, like Dan Enfault, DeQuistos, all that, and some other guys that are up and comers that are doing all the betting hunting. Like, just talk to everybody. If somebody won't talk to you, somebody else will. And talk to multiple guys because there could be things that I do that other guys don't, and other guys do that I don't. And some guys have way more experience than me. Like, I don't feel like, you know, I'm not, the, I'm never, you're never the top dog. There's someone that's always better than you. So I like to hunt with guys and talk to guys that are better than me. You just put your ego aside because you're going to learn more, but there's guys that are just starting that I'll talk to. And I learn things from them. You just pick out one or two things that, Oh man, I never thought about that. Or, Oh, I would have never done that in that situation. Maybe I'll try that. And when you hear people talk about stuff, go out in the woods and actually look at it and do it. Like, Don't just listen to it and then not do it when you go hunting. Like, go out there and vet people. Like, oh, this guy said this. Go. That's what I did. 
And that's what gave me more confidence. I'm like, okay, well, this guy told me this would happen or the deer's going to be here in this situation. And when I went in, I actually seen it for myself. And then that gave me more confidence. Like, oh man, the system is on to something here. Like, and it drives you to just learn more about it. So don't be afraid to talk to people. There's lots of resources on YouTube. I watch tons of YouTube videos. Like I'm learning every day. Podcasts are awesome. Some people learn by hearings, but some people don't. So maybe a guy will learn more from like a book or like YouTube than he will podcast. But I try to listen to it all. And I'll ask a lot of questions, like ask guys why too. Like, why did you do this is one of my biggest things. Like if I watch a video or something and a guy's not telling me why, I tend not to watch the videos anymore. Like I kind of gravitate towards the people that are telling me why. Why is this working? Why is this happening? Like that's what I'm really interested in because I feel like that's what I'm going to get the most out of. For guys that, uh, you know, have questions or that wanted to reach out to you, like where's the best place to, you know, kind of follow along with everything that you're doing and, and how can they best get a hold of you? I got Facebook, Instagram. It's just Rendell Eric. It's super easy to find me. Um, and if they can't find me, they can just get there. I got tons of posts out there. They can just find one or something, but it's easy to find just Rendell Eric, my name. I don't have like a brand that I go by. You can just find me by my name or you might run into like a no balls, no bucks hashtag or something somewhere that's usually back to me. Or you can just get a hold of somebody that, you know, it works with tethered or something and they can get a hold of me. And then I can get up, you know, I can message them back or whatever, but they can just DM me, talk to me at some at some of the shows, too. I do. I volunteer to help out tethered at some of the trade shows and like their TNTs. They can just come and talk to me there. Like there's one, there's one this weekend and Des Moines, Iowa, I'm going to be at, they can come talk to me there if they want to, or they can just DM me. Um, I am going to launch a YouTube soon. It's going to be a bunch of different things. A lot of it will be focused on scouting because I feel like that's where I shine. That's what I'm passionate about. I almost love scouting more than hunting. Like it fires me up, man, to get out there and put boots on the ground. I absolutely love it. So I'm going to do more scouting stuff, but I have some hunts on video that I might launch through that YouTube channel or a a different channel. Um, I'm going to do vlogs this year too. Uh, Every single hunt I go on, I'm going to vlog the hunt, talk about my setup. Even if I don't see a deer, I'm still going to vlog and be like, oh, this is how, why, you know, I screwed this up because of this. Like, I'm not afraid to make mistakes. I'm only human. Like, nobody's perfect. I feel like guys wait to get like the golden footage. Like, oh man, I look like I'm a professional because I knew what I was doing in that situation. I feel like I get more out of guys that are just being themselves and they're learning while you're watching. Like, Cause you watched my Marco Polos and me scouting. And sometimes when I found the buck bed, like I didn't know exactly what tree I needed to be in or exactly when the buck was there or anything like that. And I'm not afraid to admit that. Like, and sometimes I do dumb stuff, man. I'm like, why did I just do that? For example, I was hunting, uh, Iowa during shotgun season last year for the first time. I'm like, I'm just going to try to shotgun season. You know, I already got, you know, I killed a booner already with my bow. Let's go shotgun hunting. Why not? Right. So I go into the spot where I found the buck, uh, post season scouting. I roll in there. I'm climbing the tree 
And uh, there's a branch above me, right? And for some reason, my brain was like, oh, you need to get two more feet. So I reached up and grabbed this branch to pull myself up and it snapped off. And this giant buck got up out of this bed on the ridge next to me where I was set up for him to come out of. And man, I watched this massive buck just stare at me, man, and walk away. And I didn't even get mad, dude. I just like, you dummy. Like, (laughs) I just laughed at myself, man. But I'll make a mental note like, oh, I'll never do that again, ever. And like I told some of my friends about it, we all had a big laugh about it, man. I was like, it's just a deer, man. Like, would I love to shoot that bucket? It'd have been amazing, dude. But it happens. But now I learned. And I think, you know, going on the mistakes you make, you learn the most from failure. I'm a true believer in that. Because when you get that feeling, you never want that feeling again. It's like, you know, when you break up or something with a chick and it's really hard and you get all these emotions and feelings, you're like, dude, I never want to feel like that again, man. I mean, you still do the same thing sometimes. Like, why did I do that again? You know, but most of the time that feeling keeps you from doing that mistake. So I feel like later in my hunting career down the road, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to remember that buck and I'm like, oh, don't grab that branch, climb with the stick instead of the limbs, you know, like, so just, I don't know, just have fun with it, man. Like, so at the end of the day, it's just a deer. And the thing is, is like from that, that scenario that you're talking about right there, and I've got one of those two and it wasn't, you know, wasn't, you know, so quite so egregious, but like you were right. Like at the end of the day, like if, if so, like if you were the one year in Rendell and you had that same thing, you'd probably have been a lot harder on yourself. But if you really look back and you say, like you look at what happened everything you did up until that point was right. You were in the right spot. The deer was where you thought it was. Everything was right, except for, you know, if you made a mistake, you know, you did a boneheaded thing. And I think that that's where a lot of guys, you know, especially like missing deer or, um, you know, you think that that's like a terrible thing. Like, Oh, the opportunity, it's the only opportunity that I'm going to get, you know? And I talked about this with, uh, Zach from the hunting public is, you know, those guys shoot so many deer and have so many encounters where your average guy, you know, you think about it. Like we think about it as like, if he gets in my 25 yard bubble, he's dead. Right. But there's so many things that can go wrong. And especially like that first deer, the first one that you're going to ever shoot or the, the first one of the year where you haven't killed anything and, you know, or it's the first, first one that gets your heart pumping and gives you that buck fever, you know, and it's, it's, it's right there and you miss, you know, we forget that we did everything right. Uh, yeah. Right up until the point where you didn't. Right. Yeah. You're still (laughs) successful. Like it's still a successful hunt. You learned something you, you got in the game. Like you literally put yourself in the game. Like you were there, you did it all right. You just didn't follow through with this or that. And that's where you learn and you change it. Like that feeling makes you change it instantly. I never want that to happen again. Then you fix it, but you're still successful you still got to go hunting that day. You still seen mother nature. You still got to see the deer. You made all the right decisions. So that actually gives you more confidence in my mind. Like after 
I blew that buck out because I broke the branch. I was like, man, if I wouldn't have done that, I probably would have had that buck. Like it just gave me more confidence. Like, all right. Yeah, man, my system, even during gun season, like in December, my system was still in place. Like it just gave me more confidence. Like, all right, after the rut, these bucks cycle back in, like you're still like always pull away something you can learn. Like, and you're right. If it would have been two years into mobile hunting Rindle, dude, I probably would have been devastated, man. Been mad at myself for like a week. Probably would have had a tantrum out in the woods. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> something like that. And just been super hard on myself, but man, I just wasn't, I was just like, yeah, that was stupid. And just laugh and tell my buddies about it. All my buddies laughed at me. Some of my buddies still give me crap about it to this day. They'll just bring it up as a jab, you know, jokingly. So, yeah, man, like you said, just, man, you're still successful no matter what you do. You're, you got to be out there, man. Because some people, some people don't have the opportunities to hunt. You know, they live in a city with nowhere to hunt or they have a job that they're grinding out six, seven days a week. They got kids they're in a marriage where their wife don't let them hunt like there's all kinds of scenarios some guys can't even go hunting because their health like so just be just be thankful man and be blessed that you're even out hunting oh yeah 100 percent. like i i couldn't agree more but uh I, and I think that's a great thing to end on you know is is to just take those little things as as wins so with there's two sides to every story so uh, when you think everything has gone like terribly wrong like you have to you know look at all the positives that you can take from it and you know like i said at least you got to get out hunting at least you were you were out there you know in nature like from from whatever whatever standpoint you know um thank you so much for coming on here tonight you're welcome thank you for having me man i appreciate it so much yeah